Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. But with today's message, we're talking about a resurrecting love. Look at your neighbor and say, resurrecting love. What does resurrection imply? That something had died, right? Resurrecting means that it was brought from death to life. And when we're talking about today being a resurrecting love, I want to start with this question. How do you find passion for God when you barely feel saved? How do you find a passion for God when you barely feel saved? When I first started going to church, that was like a church word I didn't understood any meaning to. Christians started asking me, like, oh, are you saved? Are we saved from what? <laughs> was that? I started using, y'all ever use uh, critical thinking? <laughs> I started using critical thinking and decisive reasoning and started to realize they must mean being saved from hell. <laughs> that's, that's obviously what they mean, right? And so when you become a Christian, the term then applies to you that you're saved. Did y'all know that? No one taught me that when I was going to church. <laughs> So I thought, man, I got I to let our church people know what being saved means in the church world. I personally say, have you given your life to Christ rather than saved? Because I feel like it's more descriptive, right? Both mean the same thing, but one is a little bit more descriptive. And this idea of being saved, feeling like you're barely saved, but trying to find a passion for God. I feel like everyone's been there, right? You barely feel like you're a Christian. <laughs> you barely feel like... You're, you're able to go to church. You barely feel like you're able to pray before you eat. <laughs> you barely feel the spiritual things of the God that you worship. And I want us to look at somebody that knows exactly what that feeling is like, just like we do. And that's Peter. Peter's the bomb, right? <laughs> How many of you guys like Peter from the Bible? Might even want to name one of your kids, Peter, Pedro, maybe just to just to honor St. Peter. You know, Peter was on fire for God. That's another church word on fire. On fire means super passionate. You ever met somebody that seems on fire for God? Usually people who are on fire for God are people that just gave their lives to Christ or just got, quote unquote, saved. And they're on fire for God because they have come to this revelation of Jesus's cross and his resurrection. And they find this truth that seems like it's been hiding from them all their lives. And they get really passionate and on fire for Jesus. Anybody ever been on fire before? For God, that is. (laughs) Yeah, it. Peter was was on fire. I remember when I first gave my life to Christ. There's this guy that told me, yeah, you're on fire right now. You seem all passionate. I was like that too once, but man, that'll pass. <laughs> that'll pass. That'll fade away. And I remember I, I got indignant. I got mad. You ever get mad at people and you just want to prove them wrong? <laughs> Peter is so on fire. Look, what he, look how on fire Peter is. In John chapter 18, verse 10 through 11, it says, Then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malichus. The high priest slave. But Jesus told Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? 
This is right before Jesus is being led away to the cross. And Jesus just told Peter, son, you're going to deny me three times that you ever know me. And you're saying that you're super passionate about me, but I'm telling you, boy, you're on fire, but you're not going to stick with me once I go to the cross. And a lot of people think like, oh, Peter was just all talk because he denied him right after this. Right after this is where Peter denies Jesus three times. But I got to say, it takes a super on fire committed person to pull out a sword against a bunch of soldiers and start just swinging away wildly to where you cut off the wrong guy's ear. <laughs> it says a priest slave's ear. He wasn't even doing nothing. <laughs> There's all these soldiers here. And Peter's like, oh, yeah, whoa. <laughs> you know, that takes a, a passionate on fire person to just try to do something. And I feel like as Christians, when it comes to being on fire, we got to do some crazy stuff. Sometimes we got to do stuff that doesn't even make sense. Sometimes it may even hurt some people how on fire we can be. You ever have family members that are offended at your passion for Jesus? See, it's, it, it's like you're cutting off their ears through your passion. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, shut up. You always have to talk about Jesus. Haven't you seen a movie or something lately? <laughs> See, Peter is, is young right here. This is him as a young disciple. This is before he's mature apostle Peter. And he brings down Pentecost. This is, this is young, on fire Peter before he's ever made any big mistakes. And I feel like all of us identify with Peter right here. You know some other on fire things that Peter has done? I'm going to just read y'all a couple of verses and share some stories. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 uh, through 16, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, But who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, You're the Messiah. The son of the living God. Let me paint a picture of what this is like right here. This is all, there's a, a pause here. Y'all like dramatic pauses? There's a dramatic pause. Jesus is like, well, who do you say I am? You're talking about everybody else. I'm talking about you. You ever seen that movie Fury? It's a crazy movie. There's one scene in the movie where Shia LaBeouf's character is a Christian, a weird, like really intense Christian. And the new recruit, comes on for this tank assembly and he says, hey son, are you saved? And the, the new recruit says, well, I've been baptized. He said, I didn't ask you that. I said, are you saved? I was like, man, I was like in your face. That's what Jesus is telling the disciples. Said, I didn't ask you what everyone else said. I want to know what you have to say about me. And the disciples are kind of, you ever been in a weird moment like that where you feel like the teacher's mad at you? The parents mad at you and you're like, you're kind of scared to answer because you don't want to say the wrong thing. And Peter was the only one that was on fire enough to say, well, sh you're the Messiah, the living God. We've been waiting for you. Another time says in John chapter six, says at this point, many of the disciples turned away and deserted him. 
This is where Jesus told everybody that was following him, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood if you want to be one of my disciples. They thought he meant cannibalism. Jesus was talking about the impartation of the cross, putting your trust in him. And so everyone deserted him because Jesus didn't feel the need to explain himself. And then it says, then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you going to leave? Are you also going to leave? And Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. You know, this is one of my favorite verses. Because everyone has those moments where you feel like, man, this life is really difficult. And you have your doubts and your questions with God. And for me personally, I always come back to this verse. I say, well... I don't really feel like I'm qualified to be a servant of Jesus. But where else am I going to go? <laughs> that's, what Jesus, that's what Peter tells Jesus. Well, where else were you going to go, Jesus? You're the, you're the way. You're the truth. I, I don't know if I'm really down for cannibalism, but I don't got anywhere else to go. And see, I feel like Peter paints a picture of what on fire is like. See, Peter has already, he's already tried other things. He's already been to other places. He's already heard different teachings. Now that he's found Christ, he realized that there's nothing else for him. See, I feel like that's one thing that it takes to be on fire for God. Is this idea that there's nowhere else for you to go. That's what makes Peter on fire for Jesus. The moment that he took away all of his other plan B's out of existence, out of his head, said, Jesus, there's nowhere else I can go but to you. Another time, John chapter 20. This is one of my other favorite parts of the Bible. It says, this is after Jesus rose from the dead. And it says that Mary Magdalene had come and told the disciples, Jesus is risen. The tomb is empty. It says, Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They were both running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. This is John that is talking about himself. And it's, I think it's funny that John's like, by the way, everybody, I'll, I beat him. <laughs> I'm faster than Peter. It says that John arrived first and it says he stopped, he stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Now, I want you to think about how both of these people are, are really enthusiastic and zealous about seeing if Jesus is in the tomb or not. That's why they both literally sprinted. And when you're going somewhere, I mean, have you ever had to drive separate cars? You usually carpool, right? Like you wait for the other person. Like you don't want to go past the red light. You want that. If it's a yellow, you wait so that you guys don't get separated, even in cars. These dudes are running next to each other. And they are so enthusiastic about seeing if Jesus is risen from the dead that John has no hesitation to leave Peter in the dust. Okay. They're buddies. And he runs way ahead of him. You don't do that unless you're completely on fire for Jesus, right? Unless you're really excited to get there. But it says that John didn't go inside the tomb. Why didn't he go inside the tomb? Because 
for the Jewish people, it's unclean to be in the same presence of a dead person. It's unclean for them. And it's, it's even inappropriate in our time, right? You ever just jump into an empty tomb that you believe someone's dead in there? You ever just bust open into a funeral, kicking the doors wide open? It's even inappropriate in our time to be, uh, I guess you could say, a lack of sensitive, uh, sensitivity to the, to the dead. And so John has his hesitation and he looks inside and he's like, well, it looks like the linen wrappings are there. I don't think Jesus is in there, but it'd be inappropriate for me to just walk on in. Peter, on the other hand, is a psychopath. <laughs> he is so on fire for Jesus that he looks at John and is like, what are you doing? And he just walks in without even thinking. He doesn't even have to think about it. He's like, where's Jesus? Is he here or not? And he is so just motivated and in tune and zeroed in on finding Jesus in his life that he's willing to do things that are even seemingly inappropriate in society. Things that, that others would deem as uh, not right. Peter says, I don't care as long as it's going to get me to Jesus. See, being that on fire, that, that much passion, it, it creates so much audacity in you. Have you ever thought about audacity, what that word means? The audacity is like, is, is willing to, to almost find the truth, even if it's rude. And I feel like Peter exemplifies this kind of fiery passion to where he really doesn't give two bits of what people think about his relationship with God, his passion for God. Would you guys agree? He's slashing people's ears off. He's running into graveyards just to see if he could find a body. This is a psychopath. I mean, all of the other disciples are in love with Jesus too, but yet it's Peter who's the first one to say anything positive about Jesus before anybody else. Think about the moments that you're in public places, the moments that you're at family gatherings, the moments that you're with those coworkers. And that moment where you're like, ooh, this is a perfect time to invite someone to church. Ooh, this is a perfect moment to, to see if I could pray for someone. This is a perfect moment for me to, to show Jesus here. And while you're thinking about it, Peter was doing it. See, being on fire, it kind of takes away that, that mental capacity to think it over. You just believe and know something so well that you don't have to think whether or not to kiss your wife. Right? He's on fire. And I feel like a lot of us have experienced this kind of fire before. This kind of passion. And a lot like Peter... It was especially fiery and kindled when we first found Jesus in our lives. Agreed? And I want us to move on to our next part. That's, our, that's that spot that everyone has been but no one talks about. And that's backslidden. That's another church word. <laughs> I'm busting out all the church words today. Backslidden. Backslidden is a church word that people use to describe someone that has had a complete repented life and gave their life to Christ to where they, they don't do all the things that they used to do, but then they backslide, they go backwards 
and they go back into the things that they used to do. That's what backslidden means. You know, I never had anyone explain that to me. I just use, you know, critical thinking. And see, that moment that we backslide, it, it fills us with so much guilt. Is so, this guilt is so bitter and such a reminder of our imperfections and our shortcomings. Of how, how unworthy we really are. Of how dirty we really feel. How unqualified we are to be Christians, right? The biggest backslidden moment for Peter was John chapter 18. And this is his, the times that he denied Jesus publicly. It says, Simon Peter, follow Jesus as did another of the disciples who was John. That other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gate. Then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and she let Peter in. The woman asked Peter, You're not one of that man's disciples, are you? No, he said, I'm not. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. I want you to look at the significance of this, this scene. He's in the cold. feels isolated, alone, and he feels distant from God. Now, who here has felt their souls cold? You felt isolated. You felt distant from God. See, it's in those moments that we almost become desensitized. Say, no, I'm not with God. I'm not with Him. And even though He lives on the inside of us, because of how we feel, we outwardly express a distance that's not a reality. It says, Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire, warming himself, they asked him again, You're not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, No, I'm not. One of the household slaves or the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, <laughs> asked, Didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? And again, Peter denied it. And immediately a rooster crowed. See, this, this is just like our lives. Didn't I see you on, on fire for Jesus just a couple months ago? Didn't I see you at that church way back when? Why, why are you here? Why are you here at this bar? Why are you here at this club? Why are you doing the things that you used to do? Peter's saying, no, that wasn't me. And even our passion and our fire for Jesus follows us. Doesn't it just show that even though we feel like we are not labeled as God's saved, <laughs> as Christians, that even the world recognizes God's hand over your life? See, it's almost like everybody else knows that we're saved but us. Everyone else knows that God loves us but us. 
And it says at that moment in Luke chapter 22, the Lord turned and looked at Peter and suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. You know, I wonder what that moment was like. How does it feel when you, when you know that you just did something that you didn't want to do? And then you have that, that second, that flash, where you recognize that God sees you, that God knows you by name. And all of a sudden, that, that shame and that guilt rushes over you. It pours over you. And I, I wonder what Jesus was thinking. Because a lot of times we only get set on what we're thinking, of how ugly we feel, how, what a miserable person we are. But what is Jesus thinking when he looks at us in those backslidden moments? Because I know how Jesus prays for Peter. I know how Jesus prayed for his soul. How, Je- how Jesus told him even before when he knew that he wasn't going to, when he already knew that he was going to deny him, he said, my child, you're, you're going to deny me three times, but it's okay. Jesus knew that he was going to mess up before he ever messed up. And he still said that he loved him, that he cared for him, that he prayed for him, that he was willing to die for him. But yet we don't think about what Jesus sees in us. We only think about how ugly we feel. We only look in our own mirrors and see all the blemishes and all the mess ups and all the mistakes. And we say, what a failure that person is. What a miserable person of a Christian that person is. And Jesus is just looking at us saying, that's not what I said about you. That's not how I see you. See, it's these moments that we feel backslidden, that we, we fall, and it's the moments that we never get back up, and we run away weeping bitterly because we feel like we lost the very treasure that we found. And we forget the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross was not a, a flirt. It was not just God flirting with us, but it was such a commitment that he made a covenant, that he made a death and resurrection as a stamp over our souls, our hearts, saying, you are mine. And the moment that you accepted that, that you received that, He doesn't just take it away the moment your sinfulness is exposed, the moment your imperfections are realized. If he loved you so much in our already wicked states, and now that we're actually trying to do good, we're actually trying our best, you think he's going to be so ticked off at you that he's ready to just desert you? But when we see his eyes, we only think about what we think not about what he's thinking. Because God doesn't see you as a failure. He doesn't see you as backslidden. He sees you as a son, a daughter, that he's willing to die for, for love. And so let's, let's think about love. Let's think about what love is. Because there's a scene where after Jesus rose from the dead, Peter ends up going back to fishing. 
He goes back to doing what he used to do because he felt like what he did against God was so irreversible, so unforgivable that he couldn't go back to doing what he was doing. Don't we look at our relationship with Christ like that? This tightrope that if we make one mistake, we have to start all the way back over to do, to do anything for God. Because God can't possibly love us now. God can't possibly use us now because we made too many mistakes. We have to start all the way over and go back to what we were doing before. And it says that Jesus called out to them, said, bring, bring in your hall. And he, he did the same miracle for them when God first called them. I love how Jesus reminds us as the moment that we first lo- fell in love with him. He doesn't remind us of, of our mistakes. He reminds us of the, the initial moment we fell in love. And he says, do the same miracle I did when I first called you guys. And said that Peter was so backslidden, but still on fire, that he jumped into the water and, and swam over about 100 yards. I could barely sprint 100 yards, okay? This dude is swimming in an ocean 100 yards to get to Jesus. It says that when they pulled up the boat, all the other disciples waited, but this on-fire cat jumps in and swims naked just to get to Jesus. And they brought up the boat with, boat with over 150 fish. It says that Jesus said, Bring in that load of fish and bring some over here so I can make y'all some breakfast. And before any of the other disciples could move, they're still taking it all in. Peter, the one who's more tired than any of them, gets up, runs over, and brings the whole net in by himself. Now think about if, if each fish was just one pound. That's 150 pounds. This dude is just pulling over his shoulder and doing some lunges, bringing it into Jesus. And he's, he's trying to do so much to prove to God that he, he's still on fire for him. But I think that, that Peter has never lost his fire. Because <laughs> he's doing the same crazy stuff that he used to do. The only difference is that he doesn't feel it. He doesn't feel it. And it, then it says in John chapter 21, after all this, all of, all of Peter's show, it says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know, I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep. And Jesus said a third time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. You know, this is obviously symbolic of the three denials that Peter had of Jesus. Peter denied him three times and Jesus asked, do you love me three times? And it's also a very similar exchange because here Jesus is cooking him up some fish stick sandwiches over a charcoal fire. 
it was around a charcoal fire that Peter denied Jesus. It's almost like a very similar scene. But if you get real in depth, there's, there's different kinds of love in the Bible. There's three main kinds that we see. There's eros, which is not what we see here. Eros is a, a romantic love. Then there's agape and phileo. Agape is usually rendered as the most common love because it's supposed to be like a, an unconditional and like more of, it's usually put on a pedestal as like a deeper love. And phileo is a brotherly love, like a friendship, a relationship. And this is the interesting part that actually a lot of scholars look at because Peter is asked by Jesus, do you agape me? The first two times. And Peter responds with, Lord, you know that I phileo you. And then on the third time, Jesus says, do you phileo me? And Peter responds, you know that I phileo you. And so what's interesting about this scene is why would Jesus ask him the first two times agape and the last time phileo? And what is Peter trying to say when he's saying phileo every time? A lot of people think, well, this is an exchange of Jesus saying, you're supposed to agape me, Peter. You're supposed to give me this, this surreal love, but you only give me a friendship love. But I think it's, I don't think it's that. Because Peter is so moved by Jesus. Consistently, he is the most passionate, on fire disciple. Why would here, after he's obviously still completely on fire for God, would he tell Jesus, I have a less love for you now? See, what I believe is going on here is that agape is also reflected as being like almost a this, this very elegant love. This love that is almost unimaginable. It's this almost like an idea of a, this, this holy love that you can't touch. And I feel like Jesus is saying to Peter, do you love me like a religion? And Peter says, I love you like a brother. Jesus says, do you love me like a deity? And Peter says, I love you like a friend. And then Jesus says, do you really love me like your family? And he says, Jesus, you are my family. See, it's such an intimate moment of Jesus exemplifying relationship over religion. And it's so meaningful to see how God desires this, this sweet, simple relationship that so often we think it's this unobtainable thing. And Jesus is saying, do you really want to be my friend? You really want to be close, like a brother, like a sister, like family? And it's right after this where Jesus says, I tell you the truth, you were young, 
When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. And, another, and, and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And Jesus said to, this to him to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus told him, follow me. Jesus, after Peter's, Peter's biggest mistake, says, you've arrived, Peter. You, you are now so on fire, so in love, so, so sold out to me, that even though after your biggest mistake, you're able to get back up, now you're ready to fulfill your purpose. From the, from the first point that I said, follow me, you've arrived. You're ready to go. And it was after one of the biggest mistakes of his life. If we were to end this series on anything, is, is to be reminded of what this, the title of this series is, and that's hope. That's hope. Because every person <laughs> makes mistakes. Every person goes backwards. But it's not about how hard you fall, but it's about how you get back up, right? And Jesus is telling Peter, my child, you can get up again. If you fall three times, you can get up three times. All you have to to think is, man, does this relationship with God worth it for me? And if it is, then you can get back up. And in the same way that Peter didn't have to stay down, neither do you. And I want us to all to close our eyes and bow our heads. And I want you to just think for a moment. How have you been seeing yourself? Have you been thinking of yourself the way Peter did? Is that person who's lost, that person who's failed? Or are you seeing yourself the way Jesus sees you, as redeemed, as loved, as forgiven? Have you been thinking of God as this distant, unobtainable love that you can't seem to get a grasp on? Are you willing to see this relational God who calls you his friend? If you're here today and you're ready to enter that kind of relationship with Jesus that you can trust and hope in, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. So I want you to pray this prayer after me because the Bible says that all you have to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. And surely you shall enter into this relationship with Christ, that you shall be saved. So if you've already given your, your, your heart and your hope to Jesus, I want you to pray this prayer too as a reaffirmation of your faith. Say, Lord Jesus, I put my trust in you. And greatest of all, I put my hope in you. Because though I fail, and though I fall, and though I feel like I'm not enough, You are. You love me.
You see me. You hear me. And you've called me. I believe you died on the cross for me. And I believe you rose from the dead. You are the Son of God. You are my heart's desire. Be the Lord of my life and the Savior to my soul. Amen. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.